Welcome back to the Christ and Culture. This is Steve. And this is Clint. Steve, you spent this whole weekend moving for work, right? Yes, I have worked at work nonstop. You've worked at work? Yes. Well, I was on vacation last week. My parents came into town. Okay. Took them to San Antonio, got back on Thursday for work, or got back on Tuesday, but went back to work Thursday after they left, and I worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for a couple hours. Not that I recommend that. You should keep the Sabbath holy, try to rest. And then here we are on a Monday all the way through the rest of the week. And I will be off this Saturday, which is probably not when this podcast comes out. Or is yeah, it, it is. Po- it's when this podcast. You are hearing me on the Saturday <laughs> where I am finally resting. And if you cannot tell, I am tired. Hi, tired. I'm dad. Bum, bum, bum. There's your weekly dad joke. You're welcome. So what are you guys moving? Like, are you moving the whole company? The office, yeah. So we are moving from where we were to an entirely new office. Where you were not. Where we were not. So you're moving from where you were to where you were not. Which yes, is we went from here to <laughs> there. Oh my uh, gosh. We can tell this is already going to be an on-point podcast. Yeah. Right well, now. I was, okay, so I was, I'm reading this book right now for work called Servant Leadership. Okay. And I had to read the first two chapters. And it's all about getting from here to there. And not just anywhere but you're transcendent there, which is about like more than just your short-term goals of there, but you're transcendent there, which is... Like heaven? Yeah, like serving God and like getting to heaven. Yeah. Okay. Which is like, it's good. I mean, it's, it's just like, it's very interesting to read it because I'm like, yes, I does understand it, all of these points. Does it talk about potentiality and actuality? Nope, just talks about getting from here to there. Okay. And doing it through service and instead of the me there, focusing on the we there. This is a Christian book? Yeah. The me there is selfish. The we there is about other people. It's other-centric. All things that are good. I know the sarcasm in my voice seems like it's not good. <laughs> it's all good stuff. It's just, I have a degree in theology, so it's like... And it quotes it quotes a lot so of you're like better than this. No, it just quotes a lot of like Victor Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning, which I've read, and it quotes a lot of scripture, which I've read. So it's just stuff you're familiar with. Yeah, and so it's actually good. It's just written in a way that I don't know. It's like I guess more easily digestible by people. It's for the general audience, yeah, not someone who studied theology. Yeah. yeah, but it's good. I mean, it's a good book. I'm just being silly, as one does. So, have you taken in any media since you've been moving all weekend and stuff? Not and this weekend. Last I, weekend you were traveling? Pretty much. Uh, my dad, like I said, my parents were here. And so he watched a couple, like, Netflix things. Okay. While he was, while he was out. I uh, watched a Netflix original movie called Rim of the World. I haven't even heard of that one. It ju- it's, like, brand new. Like, it just came out. Okay. Um, and it's about these, like, middle school-aged kids that are summer camp when aliens take over the planet. Interesting. Yeah. Why are aliens becoming such a big thing again all of a sudden? Because we're going to get invaded. Hot takes with Steve. That'd be fun. Be terrible. What if they're really nice? Why do we always assume that aliens are bad? Maybe they're better than us and just really nice. So I actually had uh, one of my professors, not professors, oh gosh, uh, one of my teachers in I think like middle school or high school or something was talking about aliens and he was like, and basically he gave the answer for that. Because he was like, if they were, like, benevolent creatures, they would look at us and we would be so below them and dumb that they wouldn't want to deal anything with us. Like, if, He's like, if they could have the technology to traverse across galaxies to get to us, they probably wouldn't have a whole lot to do with us. Unless they were malicious, 
would probably be the only reason they would interact with us. Or... Because you got to think, like, they would look at us and be like, okay, these people were... Re- like, it's like the way we would look at an animal, kind of, for the most part. Like, unless we were going to, like, do research on it or... Uh, you're like, oh, this planet's rich in resources. Let's take it. I don't know. I like animals. Sometimes I like to hang out with them just for funsies. Maybe. But like, let's, th- let's think about this. What if, what if, since they're on a different planet and they're not human, they're not part of the fall, right? So, assuming that they have eternal souls and rational souls, which they most likely do, if they're like maybe that's why maybe that like aliens are really great and they just look at us and they're like oh my gosh like what a bunch of heathens but would they even think that if if they haven't fallen because they weren't weren't a part of the fall so then they would look at us and have nothing but compassion if if or pity maybe maybe both well what if guys this podcast is apparently about aliens what if aliens love us better than humans love us guys Hot takes. Send us, send us your thoughts on this. What do you think? You do aliens love us better than humans love us? Or are they intelligent creatures without souls that are hell-bent on destroying and eating us? Those are the only two options. Yep. No a, middle a or B. Yep. Everything's black and white. There is no gray. <laughs> yeah. I did not plan on talking about this at all. Okay. So what else have you taken? Yeah. Uh, so I did that. I started watching a movie. I didn't finish it called 1922. I think it's like a Stephen King. It's a good year thing and it's interesting it was a little slow i haven't finished it because my parents were in town and they were like kind of didn't want to finish watching the movie but it was it was interesting it's about like this farmer who like convinces his son to help him kill his wife yeah that doesn't sound very nice no and then like somehow there's rats involved but we really don't know if like they're actual rats or if this guy's just crazy because i'm only halfway through the movie i'll finish it this week and in many weeks from now, when I'm back on the podcast, we'll talk about it. Many moons from now. Many moons. Uh, I watched Bird Box for the first time, finally. And? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Thumbs up. I thought it was good. Okay. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And Gordon liked it, too. So Yeah, it was good. And then I watched Silence, which is kind of like Netflix's ripoff of A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, very, it's, it's different, but it's also... like about being silent and um i don't know it was okay it's about these like creatures from underground that get released and kill people so since since you're talking about all these netflix movies have you heard i think they announced this back in like december or january it's a while back netflix is doing an avatar the last airbender live action remake tv series with the original directors and producers and writers i did not know that that sounds interesting yeah Hmm. and it's supposed to be basically the exact same story but expounding off of it because the episodes are going to be like an hour instead of only 20 minutes i'm kind of excited but i also don't want to have my heart broken again like a lot of um live action versions of anime even though avatar is not technically anime because it's not really like what it's not eastern it's like a western thing in the style of yeah. it. Um, well, it's Easter, imagine, Eastern in storyline, Western yes, in style. Yes. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Clint understands. He'll explain it. He just did. I just did, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's really... I don't know. I feel like a lot of those tend to be very bad. I'm more specifically thinking about... Apparently, they did that live... I didn't watch it, but the live-action Dragon Ball Z. Apparently, it was Yeah, atrocious. that one was awful. 
But what I will say about this one that makes me think there's actually hope, number one, Netflix is doing it uh, partially as what seems to be like their last resort attempt to save themselves with Disney making their own streaming engine, right? So they're losing all of the Disney movies, so they have to do something. Including Marvel. Yeah. They have to do something to stay alive. So this could be big because it's one of the biggest TV shows of like our generation. Yeah, and they're also, I mean, they do a lot of like their own stuff now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely. But like they're bringing back like the original creators and everything, which makes me think that there's, there's still hope. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. But I've, yeah, I basically watched a lot of that with my parents because my dad's used to just sitting on the TV, like sitting on the couch watching TV. Sitting on the TV watching the couch. Yeah, um, and Steve I don't Senior. have cable. So he pretty much had access to Netflix. Nice. And says so we did. We also went to San Antonio. But San Antonio school. Media? Yeah, a lot of stuff actually, but it's different media this week than um than in, in previous weeks, I guess, cuz obviously the UEFA Champions League final was this week, so yes. that was that's soccer for those of you who don't like sports or uh, football. Or foot- for those of you football. that don't live in America. Yeah. So that was um, that was disappointing because Liverpool won, and you know I don't like Liverpool, so it was kind of a. As long as Man U didn't win, Man U wasn't even close. I know, but I just know that they're your team, and yeah. okay. that was just a shot at Clint. I also like Manchester United. I'm just giving him a hard time. Yeah, remember that time I brought you to a Manchester United yeah. game, and I said. It was a Manchester United and Manchester City game, and I said, whoever wins this game, I will be a fan of. And Manchester United won 2-0. to zero. Mm-hmm. And so. then the rest of the season, Man City destroyed them. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> 100% true. 100% true. Uh, yeah, so I watched that, and then, honestly, this is graduation weekend, so I went to four graduations in three days, uh, so that took up quite a bit of time. And when I wasn't doing that, actually, I was trying to stream ordinations. Oh, I have a lot yeah. of friends who, who were just ordained in the last uh, two weeks. Yeah. So I've been trying to stream some of their stuff since I couldn't fly to go see them, unfortunately. Oh, so, yeah, uh, I'll give them shout outs later. But cool, man. A general shout out to all priests who were just ordained and actually just all priests because priests are awesome. You know what? You should go give a, a in-person shout out to to a priest. Just go up to Just a priest and say, shout yeah. out, and then he's going to look at you. Shout really out weird. to you. <laughs> um, yeah. He might try to absolve you or exercise you. I don't know. I could use some exercising. Anyways. Oh, <laughs> funny. <laughs> These dad jokes are so bad. Oh. Uh, but one thing that I wouldn't really call it media necessarily, but it's an, an app that I've been, that I found. It's a sleep cycle. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, no. So I've been, I've been struggling to like get regular well, a sleep cycle for the last like month or so, maybe longer. And uh, I found this app called Sleep Cycle that wakes you up in like a, the gentlest way possible at the lowest part of your sleep cycle. So that when you wake up, no matter if you've been sleeping for like 30 minutes or like 10 hours, you're as refreshed as possible. How does it determine that? So that's the thing. There's some that do, like, movement-based. This is audio-based, so it recognizes the way that you're breathing and even tells you how much time you spend snoring in the middle of the night. Oh, that's terrible. It's so creepy. 
I have zero minutes, so keep that in mind. I don't snore, and I have verifiable proof. But yeah, it's pretty cool, and I feel so much more refreshed. That's um, awesome. I actually gave it to David, too, because he never sleeps, and it's been helping him, too. So yeah. check it out. Sleep Cycle, big fan. I like it. And so you just give it like a general time that you want to wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you give it a time frame. It recommends 30 minutes and it's basically says within that 30 minutes, whenever you get to your lowest point of your cycle, it'll start to wake you up. Oh, cool. So here's what I got to say. We're relying on apps to tell us when to sleep and wake up. Yeah. Singularity is right around the corner. It's great. And then the aliens are going to come and they're going to give us all hugs and show us the way to Christ. Yep. Things that people are generally afraid of, we're just <laughs> throwing out the window and saying everything's just everything's benevolent. Good. Just yeah. trust everything, like, guys. Don't <laughs> no, do don't do that. Please don't trust everything. <laughs> oh my gosh! Terrible advice. Uh, I'm gonna cut that out. No, please don't. <laughs> For legal purposes, I'm gonna cut that out. For legal purposes, this is a joke. Yeah, great. For not legal purposes, the other thing that I took in was actually the movie that we're gonna be talking about tonight, which you have not seen. I have not. But I watched it again last night. So, for the record, back in the the OG podcast with just me and you, mm-hmm. we we covered some movies, which were my cry movies. This is a cry movie. Clint is a sensitive soul. I am. I am. And I'm not afraid to announce that. So, this movie is called War Horse. Speaking of sensitive souls... And uh, totally unrelated. Where, I don't know where this is going. Toy Story 4 is coming out. Toy yeah, Story is. 3 is one of my crime movies. Y- you did say that, I think. Yeah. yeah. For what it's worth, I think it was because I thought it was the end. And now it's not. So we all thought it was the end. It probably so should have been the end. Yes, yeah, so I feel like it's not a crime movie anymore. Yeah. Because I think it was like the nostalgia of my childhood is ending. But nope, and my childhood what, is still being exploited for money. That's what they were playing at, too. But I digress. So this is, this is called War Horse. You'd think it's not really a crime movie. You'd think it's not really a crime movie because it's oh, a war movie, but there's actually a lot more to it than that. Yeah. So it takes place in the early 1900s, so right before World War One, and it's in southern England, hmm. right? And so it starts... Well, actually, the, first, the main character's name is Albert Naricott, but they call him Albie. And he's not a horse. He's not a horse, but we'll... We'll meet the horse in a second. So, there is a horse. There is. I a was horse. lied to before this podcast. Of course, there's a horse. It's called a war horse. I said, "Is it about a horse?" And you said, "No." With extreme sarcasm. Moving on. So the main character's Clint name is a liar. The main character's name is Albie. Deceiver. And so, in the beginning of the movie, this this horse is is born. That's literally the opening scene. Is just we see this horse born, and. The main thing I want to talk about or start with is when that horse is a little bit more grown up, it's brought to auction with its mother. And Albie's father, whose name is Ted, who has a limp, but he's kind of a farmer, he goes and buys this horse. He's supposed to be buying a horse that's like a big, strong plow horse, but this is clearly not. It's like a small, nice-looking horse, but definitely not for plowing. It's like too small, can never do it. And he spends four times what they say is like the maximum price for a horse like this. And it's li- literally his entire savings. He has nothing left. Why would he do that? Because the other person who was bit- bidding to buy the horse was his landlord, 
who he doesn't like. And so it was more like the principle of the thing. And he was just being too prideful. Mm. Right. And so, so he buys this horse and he brings it home and he finally realizes like what he's done. His wife is furious. His son, Albie is thrilled because he has already seen this horse like growing up and just like had a connection with it. It was their neighbor's horse. And because Ted has a bad leg, he can't train it. So Albie has to, and he names him Joey. So we have Albie and Joey, and those are kind of our main characters, the horse and the boy. Hey, that's a book, The Horse and the Boy, right? C.S. Lewis? Sure. Never mind. All right. So anyways, everyone has basically given up hope that this horse is going to do what they need to do because it's, it's untrained. It's too small to do anything. But he does eventually train him, and even to the point where Albie can whistle, and the horse recognizes his whistle and will run from where, wherever it is. He basically does whatever he tells him. Uh, so the landlord comes eventually to collect the, the rent money, and they have nothing left. And so he threatens to take everything, which technically I think is his right as the landlord if he can't pay. But they persuade him to let them plant one season of crops. But the issue is their field is not plantable because it's all like full of rocks and stuff and has never been plowed. And so they have to plow this, but now they don't have a plow horse, they have this tiny little like colt, right? And so if they don't, they lose everything. And so eventually Albie gets Joey to, to put on the, the plow harness and everything. And they go out there and he tries to get him to plow and he won't do it. And so everyone from the entire town basically comes and watches them. It becomes this big spectacle because they know this is going to make or break this family. And so everyone's there and they fail. It basically just embarrasses the entire uh, Naricot family. Even Albie, who at one point Joey just drags Albie across the field without plowing anything. So it's super embarrassing, and everyone starts to leave. The landlord says, I'm going to be over in two days to collect everything. You have till then to move out, basically. And as they're leaving, it starts to rain. Albie notices that, obviously, the rain is going to loosen up the dirt, and so he uses that to his advantage. right? So he knows they're not big enough to do it when it's dry, and so he starts to... He convinces Joey to try again and they do and they are able to plow the entire thing through the night in the Mm. pouring rain right so they use their their smarts basically rather than their their strength right brains over brawn right yeah and so they're able to do it and yeah it it works there's a little bit other stuff that kind of happens in the middle there but i'm just going to kind of skip that because it doesn't really it's more plot than actually yeah helpful this conversation so pretty soon down the road like they've planted everything Everything's looking great. They are going to have more than enough money than they needed to cover their expenses and everything. And then there's another storm. And the storm destroys all the crops. And now they've lost everything again. So they went from nothing to hope to broken again and having absolutely nothing. And so right after this is when they announce the start of the First World War. All right. And with that, Ted... The dad knows he doesn't have the money, so he's got to do something. So he sells uh, the horse Joey to the military to be a cavalry horse in the war. So this is where he becomes a war horse. A war horse. So now they have the money, but they lose the horse. 
and Albie is devastated. So he goes to volunteer, but he's not old enough. And so he can't. So they take the horse, but the, the officer who buys him is actually played by Tom Hiddleston, who, if you don't know, plays Loki, right? Loki bought the horse. Loki bought the horse. And so the whole thing was just a prank. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and he's actually really sweet about it. And he says, like, uh, he, I'm going to return this horse to you after the war. And I'm going to take as good of care of him as I can, knowing that the horse likely wouldn't make it. Yeah. But throughout the whole movie, he's really sweet. He sends letters to Albie and, like, draws pictures of Joey and sends them to him from the, the front lines and stuff. So he's a really sweet guy and genuinely wants trying, yeah. trying to help. So... They go off to France where they fight, and in the very first charge of the, the battle, or the war, they are attacking this unsuspecting, unsuspecting German camp, and they completely overrun it, and they ca- catch it by surprise, but then as the Germans are retreating, they had Gatling guns hidden, and they get on these Gatling guns, and they just completely annihilate the entire... British attack, including, uh, well, I didn't say this, but Benedict Cumberbatch was one of the characters, too. Uh, Yeah. So they're both just wiped out. Like, the entire um, group is wiped out. One thing I do want to say really quick before I move on to what happens next, the motto that they use. Now, I, I looked this up. I think this is actually a motto in the British military. They said, fear God, honor the king. And that actually is from scripture because uh, I think I've told you this, but in college I had this this group of guys that I lived with. We called it the Brotherhood. It was a bunch of men, like Catholic group. Yeah. And that was like our scripture for our motto was First Peter two seventeen, which is honor all men, love the Brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Right. So I was like, wait a second, I know that. So they actually used scripture as the motto for their hmm. their cavalry division which is kind of cool but you're leaving me kind of leaving me hanging yeah did joey make it joey made it okay but i would think otherwise the movie would be really yeah it's a super short movie it's only like 20 minutes and i was yeah but here's what happens so they the germans are going to kill all the horses because they can't take them any of the horses that survived and one of the the kids on the medical team that's they call it the ambulance right he he's familiar with horses and so he's like wait we can save some of them to pull the the medical wagons and the the officer german officer says if they can pull like if they're comfortable with the harness then we'll keep them if not shoot them and because joey had learned to pull the plow he was comfortable with the harness and so he convinced like he has this this friend horse which was actually benedict cumberbatch's horse and they're friends throughout the movie. He convinces that horse to pull it as well. So those two are the only two that survive of the entire mm-hmm. cavalry division, right? And so now he's with the, the German army, and that boy who just saved him is put in charge of taking care of him. But that boy takes him and takes the other horse and runs away with his 14-year-old brother who had snuck into the army because the German army was sent to the front lines and he knew if they went to the front lines, his 14-year-old brother was going to be killed, and he wants to keep him safe. So he took the two horses, ran away, and hid in a windmill. That night, they were found by the German army, 
and the boys were executed. But the horses were still hiding in the, in the windmill. It was a giant windmill. The next morning, this is a crazy story. Yeah. It's obviously not true. But it's based ne- on a true story. It's no, definitely not. It's, it's based a, on a true war. It's based on a, a book. And World War I did happen. Yeah, that's true, yes. But anyway, so in the morning, this little French girl, her name is Emily, walks into her windmill and finds these horses, and she's, like, thrilled. And she wants to learn how to ride these horses and everything. And she is, like, this sassy little, like, French girl who lives with her, her grandpa. She's, like, a young girl. Yeah, she's, like, I don't know, 13, 14. Okay, okay. I was thinking, like, she was, like, this, like, little, like, six-year-old girl who was, like... No, yeah. she, she's pretty young. Yeah. But she lives with her, her grandpa, and you find out that her parents died in the, like, rebellion against the Germans in the, the initial invasion. And pretty soon, the, she's trying to teach these horses to be jumping horses, and Joey hates jumping. He's never learned to, like, jump over anything, and so it's kind of a comical little thing. Sorry, I'm going to kind of just cruise through the story. No, it's fine. Yeah, go for it. And then, immediately after this, the Germans show up and steal all their food to feed the war effort, right? And Emily gets really upset at this. They're able to hide the horses, so the horses aren't taken. But she's really upset at her grandfather. She says, grandpère, which is like French for grandfather. I just learned that on Duolingo. Come at me. Uh, (laughs) Okay. But... She, um, she's mad that he didn't stand up and fight because she knows that her parents did and they were brave. And so they get in this fight and she says, you've never done a brave thing in your life. And Grandpere says, maybe there are different ways to be brave. Did you know the French have the best carrier pigeons and this could be the difference in the war? Our message is getting through. And then Emily responds, I don't want to hear about birds. And this is what Grandpere says. They are released at the front and told to go home. This is all they know. But to get there, they must fly over war. Can you imagine such a thing? There you are flying over so much pain and terror. And you know that you can never look down. You have to look forward or you will never get home. I ask you, what could be braver than that? And so this is where I want to take our first break and kind of just recap on, on your thoughts, first off on that conversation and then just on the movie so far in general. Yeah. I thought that, I mean, that's a, I think that that is really good illusion sort of lesson. I mean, in a lot of ways in our, our faith lives, like it's important to just look forward and not look down. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think more specifically when we fall to sin, yeah. Like it's in, yeah, like exactly. We can oftentimes, I think, get caught up looking down into the filth that we've stumbled into and get stuck there because we're like, well, I'm already filthy. Like, I might as well just stay here. Yeah. Um, as opposed to looking forward and, like, getting back up and moving. And I think that's true, right? Like, that's real bravery is to, like, face yourself and continue to move forward in humility. Whereas, yeah, you'll never make it if you just get caught up in your failures yeah or you get caught up in, in the pain in, and the in suffering the and the suffering. dirt yeah yeah this actually this made me think of when i used to do like high ropes courses yeah and i used to help people like be a, a guide through them right you always tell people you're 35 40 feet up in the air you always say like don't look down if you're afraid right because that's just gonna make it worse which reminds me of peter walking on water right mm. what happens as soon as he looks down yeah, he, sees he gets afraid water. and he starts to fall, right? But when we look forward, 
in, in that story, who are we looking at? Yeah. We're looking well, at Christ. And I think that's the important thing is like where we're looking forward. Yeah. Right. And so these pigeons are looking forward to going home. Right. I think, yeah, in a certain sense, like where is our real home? Right. It's like Christ. You know, mm-hmm. It's heaven. It's uh, like our true home. Yeah. And we, we have like the, exactly. We have this tendency to go where, where our eyes are set. Right. So same thing if like, I'm awful at shooting guns, but like if your eyes are looking somewhere else than the target, you're going to move, right? You're not going to yeah. hit the target. Like you, you need to be looking at where, where you're going. And for us, like you said, that's heaven, right? Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, like playing catch or like yeah. playing baseball. Like you yeah. have to keep your eye on the ball, even though you're afraid. Like when I was a little kid, like a little, little kid, that was the hardest lesson for me to learn, but I eventually learned it. Is like keep like keep your eye on the ball, and I'm like, I don't want to keep my eye on the ball. Like it's coming at me really fast, and it's scary. Yeah. But if you don't look, like you're gonna get hit or you're gonna miss it. Well, I think that's a perfect example because, yeah. as a little kid, you 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 don't want to put your eye on the ball because you're afraid, but it's you're afraid of getting hurt, right? But it's by looking at the ball that, that you stay safe. And I think yeah. that's similar to what he's trying to say here. Like, it takes a lot of bravery to be able to like do these things like it's easy to get distracted yeah. when when things are hard but it, it is hard to be able to move past those things right and so i i think there is something to that that it does take a lot of bravery to to move beyond the pain and the suffering even when it does seem helpless and hopeless so any other thoughts on the rest of the movie so far i mean obviously there's a lot of like suffering and like crazy instances and stuff in this story but uh yeah i mean i think it's just yeah i don't i mean not right now but we okay might, we might revisit some of it depending yeah. on how the rest of this movie kind of turns out sure yeah we're like over halfway through like the synopsis so far okay. so after that grandpere actually gives her a saddle and lets her ride up to this point he was not supportive of it because he was trying to keep her safe and so the very first time she rides She's going to ride up to the top of the hill and come back. Grandpa says, don't go beyond the hill. And what does she do? She goes beyond the hill. And he's like waiting and yelling for her to come back, and she doesn't. And so he, this old man, runs up the hill, and looking over, he sees she's completely surrounded by the German army. And they steal the horses and leave, and that's it. And so they're gone, right? And so now these horses are war horses again. They're brought into the German military. So they are then forced to pull artillery, like the big weapons, the big like guns. Yeah. That, yeah. So they're brought up to the front lines where they're like supposed to pull the artillery into place. And we see that the horses pulling this artillery are not doing well. Right. They say that healthy horses, uh, put into this position live at like a month is basically what they say in the movie so like horses are just like falling and they put in a new horse and one dies and they put in a new horse over and over again and so we see there's this german caretaker who like feels really bad about this he's in charge of taking care of all the horses and when he first meets these two he looks at them and says you are beautiful it's such a pity that they found you and then we go on and in the next scene they are like the reserves for pulling this artillery and one of them dies and the other horse the joey's friend they never gave it a name joey's friend is supposed to take the place but 
he's still beat up from whatever else they'd been doing, right? And so Joey runs up there and like stands in the position where he's supposed to like fill in for the horse as if to volunteer. And I love this scene. Mm. Uh, he, he even like, he starts to buck and jump and like shows like, look at me, I'm strong. I can yeah. jump, like I can do this, but he can't. And so they let him, they let him take the spot. And this reminds me of Maximilian Colby, mm. like my favorite saint. If you're not familiar with Maximilian Colby, well, do you know his story? Yeah. Okay, I've been doing all the talking. You want to give it a quicker synopsis? Yeah, so Maximilian Kolbe uh, was a saint. He was in um, a concentration camp Auschwitz. during World War II. Yeah, yeah. Auschwitz. It, or he was there, and a, a man was basically... Was it they were marching, and a man like fell, and so they were going to execute him? Uh, someone, tried, someone tried to escape, oh, that and what it so was? the punishment was they were going to take 10 guys yeah, to execute that's right, that's instead. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so... Uh, they they ended up picking this man who had a family. Yeah. And obviously he didn't know if his family was still alive, but uh, Maximilian Colby volunteered to go in his place. Yeah. And so they went to execute Maximilian Colby instead of this man. Who was a, a Catholic priest and yeah. an amazing Marian saint too. Yeah, and he ended up, um, he ended up like really like converting souls through that experience oh yeah big time well this is just like such a small part of his story yeah obviously like i said he's my favorite saint so if you want to find out more we did an episode on him and a couple other saints episode 25 saints in culture pray for us so go check that out his story is amazing um but this reminded me of of his story yeah a lot and just like that stepping in to, to take someone's place when he knew right. it was probably going to be his death. Well, I think what's beautiful about Maximilian's story in that is that it's reflecting of Christ's story, right? That he takes the place of our yeah. death. Right. right. And that's, that's that exactly it. he takes the it. cross that we deserve. Well, and the crazy thing is, I told you at the beginning, like, he's not a big horse. Yeah. In everything he's done so far, every single battle, he's always been the smallest one. Yeah. He's always been, like, no one thought he was going to be able to do it. They're like, even for a war horse, like, he's... He's not good enough. He's not trainable. Like, he can't, right? He's just too little. And so now he's supposed to be pulling this giant artillery where all these big, strong horses are dying, and he volunteers. And in the scene that follows, he's the one that leads it. He's yeah. pulling the hardest. Why? Because he had that experience with the plow, right? Mm-hmm. And so these experiences in his past, which were, like, hard and just beat him up, are what helps him to be so strong in all these other yeah. situations. Well, right? it kind of reminds me of um, like tempering steel and fire, right? That it's in like our struggles and our turmoil that like we strengthen our faith and we yeah. strengthen our resolve. Yeah. And that God uses difficult moments to strengthen us for the journey. Yeah. Hang on to that because I want to come back to that. That's good. Holding on. Hold. <laughs> uh, and so once they actually get it to the top of the hill and they get it in position, this artillery starts firing over the front lines. Yeah. And we see that it's the battle of battle of the Somme, which is, mm. uh, the deadliest battle in world war one, which fun fact, J.R. Tolkien fought in that battle. You know who else fought in that battle? Albie. Cause at this point in the story, he was old enough to join the military and now he's fighting on the front lines. Yeah. And so this horse, Joey, just pulled the artillery, which is now firing on Albie and the other British troops. But he didn't know, obviously, yeah. right? And so now we flash over to Albie and see his story, right? And so the, the Brits 
charge. And this is, if you've ever seen anything about World War I, you know it's super dangerous. You have no man's land that nobody makes it across, right? If yeah. you're going to survive, you come back. World War I was such a deadly war because awful. war was always fought a certain way. And then technology surpassed war tactics. You yeah. had machine guns. And they just they didn't adapt their tactics. It's like that first battle tactics, yeah. where they just got completely wiped out. Yeah, yeah. They just didn't know, and so you know trench warfare was so brutal because they only knew marching in a line forward, and they had to like figure out how to overcome that. Let's actually let's talk about that because going back to that first battle where the horses charged, mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch's character actually survived the initial attack, and the commander from the German base said to him, "Do you really think?" that a, a base or a, a camp in open field will go undefended, who do you think you are? Yeah. And I think that's true about our spiritual life too. Like we can't like leave our, our camp, our, our soul, our, ourselves undefended, right? We talked about yeah. that in was that the Pocahontas episode yeah. that you and I did. I think so, yeah. Where you have to, uh, I, think that's, I think that's the final rule of St. Ignatius where he, the, the devil looks for weaknesses in your defense and he's going to pick at those. Yeah. And so we need to keep our, our defenses strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that kind of has insights into spiritual warfare too. Yeah, for sure. So anyways, the, the Brits make this charge across the no man's land and we see Albie is there with a couple people from his hometown too, including kind of like his best friend who we we just learned his name in this scene his mm. name is andrew and then kind of the rich bully the landlord's son is also there he's an officer and so they they charge andrew stays back in the first part he's afraid and he doesn't go out of the trench but eventually when he see, starts seeing everyone else start to retreat that's when he starts to run because he's just like so afraid he just it doesn't make any sense but alby is out there like leading the charge Again, Albie's not a big guy either. He's, he's kind of small. But he pulls the landlord's son, who had been like a bully to him this entire movie, pulls him to safety and then keeps running and keeps going. He actually makes it all the way to the German trenches and throws a grenade and clears the trench. And then Andrew comes in just behind him. And immediately after that, they have kind of like this, this hug and embrace. It's, it's really cool. And as they start to go through, gas. If you don't know gas was used in world war one in the trenches a lot and it was killed a lot of people and that's what happened andrew is killed by the gas and albie is temporarily blinded and he can't see so so going back to to joey we see joey and the other horse being kind of led by the, the german caretaker mm-hmm. and they're in rough shape and the other horse is like about to die and the german caretaker knows that and so as the Germans start to retreat, he takes these horses off to the side, and he's going to try and give them a rest, but the other horse dies, like, almost right away. And so, uh, Like, the one that's friends with The friend, Joey. yeah, Joey's friend. So now Joey's basically by himself, and the caretaker... Well, I think what's interesting is there's that yeah. parallel with... Was it Albie, right? Albie. Albie and his friend Andrew, and exactly. Joey and this friend horse. And it's totally done on purpose yeah, too yeah, yeah. yeah. i definitely thought that, that exact same thing so their best friends both were, were kind of lost there and then the germans in the retreat take the caretaker and they just run away and so joey's left completely by himself and now there's this tank that's trying to retreat 
and uh, I don't know how to describe this, but basically Joey is stuck in kind of this alleyway that's surrounded by barbed wire and it's a barbed wire wall, Joey and the, the tank and the tank is driving towards him to try and like get through. And so he's trapped, completely surrounded. And so he's like starting to panic, but he, because of his experience with, um, with Emily, he now knows how to jump. And so he actually jumps over the tank as it comes down towards him. And so he escapes. And as he escapes, he runs the wrong way. Rather than running with the retreating soldiers, he runs towards the battle. And he actually runs through no man's land. He runs over the trenches, falls into the trench, gets out, and runs through no man's land. And as he's doing that, he's kind of dodging through, but he gets caught by barbed wire. And pretty soon, he's stuck, wrapped completely in barbed wire in the middle of no man's land in the middle of the night. And the soldiers from both sides see him, and they actually go out like with a white flag, and they go out and let him out. Yeah. The, and so one soldier from the English side and one from the German side, they both go out there. And it's kind of cool because they they actually are like working together and they're yeah. ha- having like this conversation. They're actually joking, saying like talking about how glamorous their trenches are and like how they have entertainment that comes every Tuesday and like steak dinners and stuff. And obviously they're they're not telling the truth but it's it's kind of comical yeah but well, that reminds me of what was it uh was it like christmas day yeah and they, they, they go out and play like soccer break and played soccer yeah yeah exactly it's just like that and w- while the british soldiers going out there we hear him under his breath quoting scripture he says like the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he leads me to green pastures like he's obviously afraid he's walking in no man's land by himself and he clings to christ yeah and I want to keep that in mind too. Cause I yeah. think that comes back. I kind of want to go back though. Cause I think that like what's yeah. beautiful about that scene, um, is I think in war, it's very easy to forget that like, these are individuals, like these are people, like individual yeah. people yeah, yeah. with their own stories. And like for the briefest moment, they're able to like recognize the humanity and like the person they're fighting. Well, they even say that as they're like, as they're leaving. So they flip a coin to see who gets to keep, Joey and the the British guy actually wins, and so as they're leaving, they're like, uh, like say, oh, what do they say? Don't don't forget your friend from Dusseldorf or whatever, yeah. and say a prayer for for me from wherever the British guy was from. And so, like, in those few minutes, like, they saw each other as humans, even though the next day they'd be shooting at each other. They're even like, keep your head down, yeah. like stay safe, right? So it's it's kind of beautiful, I think. Yeah. And so basically, this guy brings Joey back. Now they're in the same camp, right? And they, Joey actually walks by Albie, but Albie's blind at this point, so he doesn't see him. And pretty soon, rumors are going through of, like, the miracle horse, the miraculous horse, right? And they bring Joey to the doctor to get healed, and they're like, we're too busy. He's obviously going to die. Just shoot him. Put him out of his mis- misery. And then we hear the whistle, because Albie had heard the rumors and he walked up and he was doing the whistle that he taught Joey to come to. And so as they're about to shoot him, Joey like puts his head up and like starts walking towards Albie. And they they meet and the officer comes up and is like, who are you? And like, this is just a random horse. We're going to kill it. And he's like, it's not a random horse. He's mine. And I can prove it to you. And he describes like where all the markings are on him. And they're like nope there's no markings there 
and we're going to kill him. And they're like, wait, he's muddy. And so they wash him off, and he's washed clean, and you can see all the markings exactly as he described, even, yeah. though, even though he's blind. Right. And so they prove it. And so pretty soon after that, the war is over. And any horses that are not owned by officers are supposed to be sold to help pay for war expenses, including Joey. Mm-hmm. And so he's about to lose him again. And they go to auction, and all of the soldiers that were there pool their money and give it to Albie to buy him back. And they get 30 pounds, which should be enough to buy him. And they go there, and someone pays more than they have. But then right as they're about to sell it to that guy, Grand Père shows up, the grandpa, and spends 100 pounds to buy him. Oh, wow. And so afterwards, Albie goes up to to grandpa and like ask for the horse and the grandpa says like tells the story and how emily actually died mm-hmm. since we last heard and he he bought this horse because it's the last thing that he has to remember her and as he's walking away joey runs back to albie and they have like their final goodbye and as they're doing that the the grandpa pulls out a banner and it was actually the banner of ted albie's father which albie had tied on to the horse at the very beginning of the movie before he left okay. and it had followed him all the way through the story and he's like Grant, the grandfather said what is this and he's like well that's my, my dad's war banner and the grandfather says okay have this and he hands the, the banner back to him and he's like also have this and hold, like hands the rope of mm-hmm. Joey back to him as well and so they're finally reunited after all of this and then they both return home, and that's that's basically the end. So, before we go into my final thoughts, you have anything else you want to throw in? I think it's like a really beautiful story. It is. There's a to go a little bit off tangent. In terms of media that I took uh, to go way back, okay. I forgot about this. Yeah. I went to a concert for Johnny Swim. Oh yeah, which is a band I really like. Yeah, Gordon told me about that. Yeah, and um, they have this song that I really like called Home. Okay. And it's just about, like, even though, and kind of to give you a little bit of backstory, Abner, who's the the husband of this duo, mm-hmm. um, it's a husband and wife couple, and uh, he doesn't really like where he's from. He even mentioned that. He actually wrote a song called Marietta, where he, like, because his dad, so a little bit of a side tangent, his dad's from Cuba and sought asylum after the communists took over. Okay. And so he used to write this poetry where Cuba was like this long lost lover. And uh. so his father passed away and they were like, let's write a song in that same vein. But he's like, I don't like where I'm from. And so he wrote this song, Marietta. But he wrote the song Home while like in a different album. And um, Home, there's this like section where it's like, I need me some home. And it's just like about like home being this like rest, you know, and like even mm-hmm. as far as you like, even if you like go off, like we need sometimes to just like come home, you know, like we need that home. Yeah. And so when I see this, like, I think that in a certain sense, it, it kind of reminds me of this like heavenly home that we have, mm-hmm. you know, that like we need, like no matter like what journey and like the hell that we go through, like sometimes we just need need just like we need that home you know and it's like this story of how they've been split and like it's this like coming home experience yeah of like going back to like what's important right he like finally gets to go back to his family and go to his home 
Yeah. I kind of, I made a, one of my adventure videos when I used to do those. Yeah. Was kind of on that actually. So yeah. go check out our YouTube channel and you can see some yeah. of my thoughts on that too. So I'm going to be honest. I did not think of the, this movie myself for, for a topic. Oh, okay. I totally stole this from Brittany Bauckham two years ago before the podcast <laughs> even started. So, bef- oh no, this was, this was almost three years ago. Shout out to Brittany. So this was like the first summer that I lived in Houston at Brave the Wilderness. She actually gave a talk. And so this final part, oh, were you I, there? Yeah, I think I was. And oh now my gosh. Like, all of a sudden the talk's like coming yes. to me. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, yeah. So this is, yeah. the talk that she gave was kind of on what it means to be meek, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of the times we think that to be meek means to be weak. And that's not true. Maybe in English it is a little bit, but in scripture... It's not. So in scripture, like it, it, the word for meekness is anav, A-N-A-V. And it's used to describe someone who has been humbled and made completely dependent on God because of suffering. Right? Mm-hmm. And so we look at the story of Joey and of Albie, and we see they're not remarkable. They're really not. They are, they're smaller than everyone else. They're not super great. I mean, they they do great things, but only because, like the birds, they stay focused, right, on yeah. on on Christ or on what or what their goal is. To go on to that and go, to go yeah. back with this, what we were talking about earlier with like the book that I'm reading. The Please there, do right. One of the big things in there, and one of the things they quote and, um, from "Man's Search for Meaning" by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Check it out. It's a great book. To give you an idea, Viktor Frankl was in a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And he is this psychoanalyst, right, psychologist. And he ends up writing about how, why some of the people in the camp lived and some of the people died. And he said the people that knew what they were living for survived. Like these people who had this goal, they had, they had something to cling to they survived, where it's those that lost hope that died. And he said you would see them because you knew, when they, you knew when somebody was going to die because people would, like, hide the cigarettes and the bread, and they would get rid of They would smoke. They would be sitting there, and if you saw someone smoking all of their cigarettes, they didn't wake up in the morning mm. because they gave up hope. Yeah. And when they lost hope, they died. And he said it was, like, hope that kept you alive in the concentration camps. This hope for something. Chris Donato talked about this a little bit last week on the show, too. Yeah. yeah. And so when I see this, like how small they are, it was this like determination that they had. Like how, how was it that these smaller, weaker, meeker, right, people were able to horse and But meek and weak are not the same. I know, but I'm just saying like in general, like they appear weak. Right, right. right? Like those are smaller. Yeah. Um, but they, how was it that they were able to do things that larger horses or larger men weren't able to do? And I think it was this determination and this like fixation and like this like, you know, because even Christ, when he goes to do the cross, like, he hardened his heart, right? And I think that sometimes, like, he, you know, he, like, hardened his will. Like, he was like, this is what I called to yeah, do. Yeah, determination, yeah. Like, he was determined to do it. Well, like I said, I think it goes back to the bird thing, mm-hmm. right? Because they're keeping their eyes on yeah. on each other and the love that they have for each other. They know that, against all odds, they believe they're going to find each other. And they're clinging to that hope and that love. And what is the source of hope and love in, in reality and especially like in our faith, 
it's Christ. Yeah. And so it goes back to the walking on the water where you got to keep your eyes on, on what you're looking for. Otherwise you lose that hope that you were just talking about. Yeah. And what happens when you lose hope, you die, maybe not physically in the real world, but I mean, maybe, but spiritually you die too. Maybe Chris mentioned this, but I actually just had lunch with him on Friday. Oh, okay. And he was talking and I guess that they were doing these studies and they found that like, you know, they talk about like someone dying of a broken heart. Did he mention this? Yeah. 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 How like your heart actually will physically change shape. Oh, he didn't mention that. Yeah. And so they've done these studies and they found like there was this woman who was having chest pains, like heart attack or whatever. And they found like she was heartbroken and they found that like her heart had actually like contorted and became smaller. Wow. And then like she it, like went back to normal and she stopped having these like effects of feeling like she like had chest pains and things. Um, and that heartbreak can actually manifest itself physically. And I think like when you lose hope, right, when you have this like heartbreak, like mm-hmm. it actually does affect us physically and we actually can die. But even, yeah, even if not that, like if we lose hope, we tend to lose ourselves and we lose our purpose. Yeah. And it's easy to fall into despair. Yeah. So I guess for a challenge this week, I want you guys to think about what sufferings you have gone through and think about in those times of suffering, in those times of struggle, are you keeping your eyes on Christ? And if the answer is no, then how are you going to fix that? Yeah. Maybe you need to go to reconciliation. Maybe you need to go to mass or adoration or yeah. all the above. Highly recommend all three. But if Christ is the source of hope and we believe that, then we need to keep yeah. our eyes focused on him in those struggles. Yeah, I think... Um yeah, kind of going off that, I actually just watched a video. Sorry to like keep bringing up random facts. No, you're good. Watch this video of like I used to, I think like a, maybe a non-denominational pastor or something. But he did say something that I thought was really impactful. Mm-hmm. He's talking about like he has this ring, this like 14 karat ring, and he's like talking about this conversation he has with God, and he's saying like, you know, you have a gold ring, and he's like, yes, of course I have a gold ring, and he's like 14 karat, and he says, what happens if you put that ring in a thousand degree fire? He's like, well, it begins to melt. And he's like, all right, well, what happens when it melts? And he's saying, like, the zinc and the nickel and all these other impurities, they rise to the top, right? Because molecularly, they're they're uh, lighter than yeah. gold. And he says, well, you didn't see them before, but now you see them, right? And he's mm. like, yeah. And he's like, but they were always there, right? And yeah. He's like, yeah. And so he was basically talking about when we're, when we're in this, the, the fire, right, when we're in suffering, like, and he basically was saying, like, you know, when you're angry, he was like, you know, he's like, oh, you, you know, you're struggling and you're like, wow, like what an angry, vengeful person I, I've become. He's like, well, you're always, that always was a part of you, right? It's mm. just like, it's through the suffering that sometimes the best and worst parts of ourselves like come to the forefront and we can just pack it back down. We can like recognize that in us that like we get tempered through this fire and like those impurities come to light so that we can let God help us take care of them too. Yeah. Which I think is just off topic, but I think really not, interesting. Not entirely. I think maybe maybe that'll help us actually think about something more insightful. So on top yeah. of that challenge, maybe think about what what are you fighting for? Yeah. What is your hope that keeps you going? What wakes yeah. you up in the morning? Maybe it's sleep cycle. Maybe it's right. something more yeah. actual, beneficial to your life, you know? And what is it that it might be holding you back a little bit? Sure. You know, like what, what sort of things do you find that might be holding you back from something yeah so do you have any shout outs uh i will shout out uh two of my coworkers. 
um, who just today I mentioned that I had a podcast with. I have no idea if they're going to start listening. Um, Cassie and uh, Amy. A- Amy might actually start listening because she found us on a podcast immediately. Nice. So Amy, I think Thanks, you guys. might listen. But and she actually funny story. She goes to Ave Maria. Oh no way! Yeah. Like currently? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Is she like an intern or something? Mm-hmm. She's interning with us for the summer. Cool. Go Ave. Nice stuff. Uh, I actually want to give a shout out to all of my seniors that just graduated. So shout out to you guys. You did it. Love you guys. Proud of you. I, some of them actually do listen. So oh, you, rock on. Yeah. And then also I want to give a shout out to all the newly ordained priests. I wrote down all the ones I could think of, but I'm probably missing some. So if you guys are listening, I'm sorry. But shout out to fathers, Chuck Warren, Bobby Blood, David Michael Moses, Josh Link, Tom Heathershaw, Michael McAndrew, Tyler Raymond. And did you know that in our diocese alone, Galveston, Houston, we had seven ordained this year? Yeah. It's the most in like 30 years. That's pretty awesome. Actually, my home diocese of Dubuque, five this year. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Also, what's really cool is like I've met David Michael Moses. He's an awesome guy. But this is like a good class. Like just for him alone, like this is a good class of priests. He's saying mass at uh, at my parish, weekday mass at my parish this week. Oh, wow. And we're having a reception for him tomorrow, so I'm pretty excited to see him again. That's going to be awesome. And he uh, he's still doing, which I think is awesome, the he's concert still doing for the, life. the Concert for Life. Yeah. yeah, guys, look up Concert for Life. Even if you're not from Houston, see if there's a way you can support this. Uh, yeah. It's awesome. He puts on this huge concert here in Houston and to raise money. the proceeds go to the, the Houston Pregnancy Center. Yeah, yeah, to help people who can't afford uh, anything along the lines of pregnancy. So yeah. consider helping that out. And with that, I had another shout-out, but I'm blanking on it. So shout out to you, mystery person. Shout out. Maybe to we'll catch you next week. Yeah. So with that, guys, thank you so much for joining us. If you like what we do, feel free to follow us on all of our social media. You can find us on Twitter at on the adventure Two, Facebook, the Christ and culture, YouTube, the Christ and culture. And you can find us on Patreon. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us because for as little as one meal at a fast food restaurant, you can support us for an entire month and change our lives because that would be awesome. Yep. Also, you get bonus content too. Super awesome, important thing. The church went from the apostles, maybe you could say 3,000 at Pentecost, right? Maybe you could. To the majority of the Roman Empire in about the same amount of time as America has been a country. Do you know how that happened, Clint? By supporting us on Patreon. No. <laughs> no. Uh, through word of mouth. Yeah. If you like what we do, please consider all of the above. But please tell your friends about us. Yeah, seriously. If you like what we do, and we hope you do, we hope you've made it this far, just let people know. Uh, help us one to reach more people. Yeah. yeah. Help us to start this conversation with new people. Yeah. Uh, and we would love to hear from all of them and hear from all of you. I just remembered what my other thing was. This weekend, I am going to CYMC. So if you guys are youth ministers and you're going to Phoenix, Arizona for the Life Teen CYMC conference, please come find me. Uh, I would love to hang out with you guys. So with that, guys, thank you for joining us on the adventure this week. And we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye.